Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, August 5th, 2020. We're going to continue our Godly Sorrow series. We're going we're gonna to work through this for the next few sermons to make sure that everyone in here, somebody say everyone, everyone, that everyone is able to understand what Godly Sorrow really is. Now, if you were here with us on Sunday, you know that we started, started off with earnestness. But the title of tonight's sermon is Eagerness, Our Divine Defense. Yeah. Eagerness, Our Divine Defense. Well, last Sunday, we learned something, didn't we? We learned some very important foundational concepts as well as learning about the first step. Do you guys remember that? The first step of godly sorrow that's found in 2 Corinthians 7. So let's all turn there to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we will start with verse 10. Say eagerness whenever you're there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Does that sound familiar? Yep. That leads to salvation. Oh, leads. And leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Let's pull up this next slide here. You guys remember this? Godly sorrow, what does it bring? It leads to? It leaves no? Oh, man. This was something that was foundational that we see at work, not just in our own minds. It's at work in every area of our lives, in every family, in every part of this body. God is speaking to us about this godly sorrow, and we're going to keep on building on this foundation. Come on now. Remember that this was written to a church. This was written to people who are already dedicated to give their lives for the Lord. They were already committed to intense discipleship there in Corinth. And what Paul is coming along, he's saying, hey, you need godly sorrow. And as a matter of fact, I've seen this at work in you. I can tell what it's produced in you. Yeah. See, because he knew what godly sorrow does. It brings repentance. Anybody in the house need repentance? Yes. Yeah. We need it every day. We need it all the time. You need it multiple times a day. And you need godly sorrow to bring it to you so that you're able to do that. What does the repentance do? It leads you to salvation. Amen. Not just one time when you were a little kid, but the everyday kind of salvation that you and I need. And it leaves no regret. Man, that may be my favorite part of this. Yeah, buddy. I am tired of looking back at my life and having regret for things that I didn't do. But let's look at the next verse. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Somebody say it's produced something. It's produced something. What earnestness. That's what we spoke about on Sunday. What eagerness to clear yourselves. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. What indignation. What alarm. What longing. What concern. What readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. In other words, you've been operating in godly sorrow. Anybody been uh, thinking about godly sorrow since Sunday? Yes. Like I said, the most important topic that has never been studied by most of us. That what we need to do is we need to remember that earnestness is the first step. That speed in our actions, the urgent and diligent effort that God has for us. That heart that is committed to running towards the very center of the matter. See, a godly sorrow will cause you to want to run into the battle, run and get your heart right and find out what the true essence of the issue is. Church, we're never going to let guilt guide us. We're never going to let guilt guide us instead of our godly sorrow. See, we have to lose no time. Amen. We can't consult with our Nabal nature. No. Man, did that bless any of you on Sunday? Yes. 
This is not the time to consult with your own feelings, your own thoughts, your own will. But it's time to look to what the Lord is saying and run with an urgency, with an earnestness that gets you there. See, we've got to take the full force, the full weight of responsibility about sin. Yeah. You hadn't even started in godly sorrow yet until you, yourself, have taken the full responsibility of what's going on. It's not somebody else's issue. It's not somebody else's fault. You've got to deal with your heart so that you can be set free. Yeah. I'm not saying that somebody else doesn't need to get their heart set free, but that doesn't help you in this moment. You've got to start out with godly godly sorrow and say, I'm going to take full responsibility for what I've done. Now, if that's what a good parent will teach their child. Come on. Come on. You don't have to teach little Ezra in the back. You don't have to teach him how to blame someone else. You see this all the way back in Genesis. Yeah. God looks at Eve and says, you've sinned. She's like, it's my husband. The husband said it was the serpent. The serpent just goes, uh, I got nothing. Because <laughs> it's in human nature to want to blame someone else. But that's not even the beginning of godly sorrow. No. If you're still wasting your time blaming your parents, blaming what happened to you Come 10, on. 15, 20, 50 years ago, then you haven't even started godly sorrow yet. But this is the house who understands what godly sorrow is. is. When you know you have godly sorrow whenever you're showing speed, urgency, and diligence to take the blame. Let's pull up that chiastic structure that we saw on Sunday. You guys remember this? You start with the first step, which is the top left of this chiastic structure. Not one step can be skipped. And we have to start with the very first one and go through them in order to get to the right side. See, when we're looking at this, earnestness and eagerness in English, it may seem very, very similar, synonymous. So now that we have a firm understanding of what earnestness is, we're going to move towards eagerness. Y'all want to move towards that next word? Let's pull up the next slide and see what the Greek word is for eagerness. It is apologia. Oh, man. Those of you guys who have been through our ministry training know exactly what this word means. Well, as we see here in the slide, it's to give an answer or speech in defense of oneself. A plea or defense. Even better yet, we have an LCM definition for eagerness. Just to help us all out a little bit now. Yay, man. This is actions that act as a defense or plea to clear yourself of the stain. Oh, we're going to put this on right footing so that we know how to take the right step in eagerness. Somebody say apologia. Apologia. Now, if you hadn't looked at this, there's no way that you would have put earnestness. I'm rather eagerness with the concept of apologia. Apology, we talk about apologetics. How are you going to defend and confirm the gospel? You're going to show somebody the word of God, and then you're going to share with them your experience with it. This is what we teach, and we've taught it for a long time. But to understand that eagerness is the word in Greek, apologia, should blow your mind just to start with. And and we're just barely getting going. The idea that you need to have a defense, but it's not a defense of your words. Mm. Anybody good Mm. at defending your actions through your words? Anybody honest enough to say that you think you're much better at defending your actions with the words than you actually are? Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's pretty much me. Anybody? Uh, I, I've seen you. I've heard you. You guys are looking at me, and you're like, I got this. This is so smooth. You're talking to Pastor Matt, and he just looks at you. See what happened was. See what happened was, Pastor. It wasn't really bad. Let me explain to you why what I just did 
was not actually what I just did. <laughs> yeah, no, we actually get that. <laughs> Let me encourage you. This is step two in the process. Yeah. You can't skip to this one. you got to start with earnestness, but then you start to develop an eagerness to clear yourself through your actions. Amen. You're going to make a defense. You're going to make a plea, but it's through what you do and not just what you say. Come on. Man, if we can be a people in this house who are diligently going towards the heart of God and we have our actions that are even better than our speech, my God, what kind of church are we going to be? We're going to be a church that understands and walks in godly sorrow. We're going to see God do something in our midst. And that's what you heard tonight through the prophecies that came forth. Yes. If you have true earnestness derived from godly sorrow, you will have eagerness. I'm going to help you out. Wednesday night, had a long day at work. I'm just going to help you out by saying that again. If you have true earnestness, derived from godly sorrow, you will have eagerness, an apologia, a divine divine defense that's seen in your daily actions. You will be able to clear yourself from the stain of sin. Come on. Come on. Y'all act like y'all are all walking around completely stainless, completely free of blemish. Actions that act as a defense or a plea. That will help you clear yourself of the stain of sin. See, eagerness to clear yourself is at our core all about our actions. Can you already hear how eagerness will demand of you ongoing, character-forming, daily kind of actions? If you're going to clear the stain, I would say the ladies, but we got to have some guys in here who would understand this. The reason that it's called a stain is because it's marred you. It's marked you. Those things are difficult to get out. you got to work at it. There's some effort that's involved. Some elbow grease is needed to remove the stain. See, that's what eagerness starts to do for you. Yeah. We all want to be able to use our speech to clear ourselves from our stains, don't we? Yes. See what had happened was. We want to be able to explain our heart to someone. By the way, just a little, little, little cue in case we hadn't told you this in a while. Besides the fact that we love you, we love you enough that if you want to start explaining what your heart was, we'll probably throat punch you. Pastor, let me explain my heart. No, I don't have to hear what your explanation of your heart is because I can see what the eagerness is producing in you. If your actions are right, then what defense do you need to give with your mouth? But Pastor, I just got to defend myself because I know I'm right. Yeah. How about you let the eagerness to clear yourself rightly remove the stain and then you don't have to explain it to anybody because you're just standing before him clean. Let me explain my heart to you. Nope, don't do that to us. Because we represent God and that's bad for you. You've gotten away with that your whole life to everybody. Hmm. No, let me explain how what I did was not really sin. I I had a good intention in my heart. With all due respect, who cares what your intentions were if your actions were rotten? Hmm. Maybe we're going to start to get to something tonight that explains why some of you can't ever overcome the things that you've been trying to overcome. You're pointing to your actions and saying, I got actions. Yeah, but they're not derived from godly sorrow. They're not derived from an earnestness to actually get this right. Right. Don't explain your heart. Don't explain your circumstances. 
trying to explain your actions in a way that sets us free immediately from the consequences of sin. No, I don't want to have to pay a price. I just want to get set free. Wow. There are consequences to your sin. There is a stain that has been put there, and you've got to have actions that work your way out of that, that prove that you have an eagerness. See, this, the way that you do it when you are trying to explain your heart or your circumstances or what you were doing, that is called self-defense. Come on. That is not a divine defense. Come on. Turn with me to John chapter 8 so we can look at some self-defense going on. Say eagerness when you get to John 8. We are going to look at verse 31. It says this. Listen to this opening phrase. Listen to this opening that you see here on the screens or in the Bible right in front of you. To the Jews who had believed him. Everybody got that in your mind? To the Jews who actually showed belief in Jesus Christ. Jesus said... If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Ah, but I believe in him in my heart. I mean, I read I re- down deep on the inside. I really believe him. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, eagerness is seen in your actions. If you hold to it, then you have a chance of actually being set free. The defense is present when the actions are added to this. Hold to my teaching. Somebody say hold. Hold. Man, you got to grab a hold of this and you're not going to let it go. Truth is known. You will know the truth. But what will, you, what will the truth need to do? The truth of a divine defense in your actions. When God speaks to you and gives you truth and you hold on to it, it is what will set you free. Somebody say, I need to be free. I need to be free. Look at verse 33. Now that's just the beginning part. The Jews believed in him and he said, hey, by the way, you like Jesus' words here? He was talking to people who believed in him. Yeah, if you hold to my teaching, then I can walk you through into truth and you can actually be set free. But we already believe. Yeah, but there's something that you have to do in response to this. Look at verse 33. They answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? There's a problem. We got a problem. Jesus says something to us, and they immediately begin to share their pedigree. If you begin to share your pedigree, your history, your family, your capabilities, you know what you're doing? you got a self-defense going on, and this is not an eagerness to clear yourself from the stain of sin. Beginning to relate to you, by the way, a false history and narrative. They are, in fact, Abraham's descendants, but uh, they're people. Their people group had been slaves, in fact. They had been mistreated and still mistreated to this day in every country that they're ever in. For the course of humankind, they've always been slaves. They've always been mistreated. And these guys are like, why would we need to be set free? Couldn't see their own condition. Can't even see their own condition. Now, let's 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 just let's Mm -hmm. just slow it down for a second here. Yeah. How many times has God spoken 
to you. And you begin to defend yourself from God's instructions to you. Who wouldn't want to be set free? Why were they even fighting with him about being set free? It's because they didn't know they were captive. That's right. Let me tell you about my pedigree. Let me tell you about what I, what I can do. Apparently Jesus didn't, wasn't focused on that part. He was trying to move them to the right actions that that would be their defense. Not their pedigree. Not their false sense of history. Not their false narrative. Before I leave this, let me just encourage you. Because we're your pastors and we speak to all of you as often as we can. We don't go hide up. We don't go to the golf course. We're with you all day, every day. Because that's what shepherds are supposed to do. How can you have a shepherd that doesn't smell like sheep? I don't know how that works. Go spend all day in my office. No, thank you. I'd rather be out where the people are. Can I encourage you that self-defense, that until you have a godly sorrow working, you don't even remember your own history correctly. That's correct. You forget the actual details of your life and you start twisting it in your mind to make yourself feel better about where you are now. Come on. I would much rather just humble myself and actually do what Jesus is telling me to yes. do and actually be set free. I promise you, you don't remember your history as well as you think you do. That's right. You have to hear me. Your version of what you think happened in your life is not accurate because it's being twisted by your own self-defenses. Yeah. You're missing the big picture because you start focusing on semantics. I don't like the way you said that, Pastor. Okay. Do you want to be set free or not? Yes. yes. Thir- verse 34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, of course, because that's all he can do. That's what he started with. That's right. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Pow! Right across the face. Of course you're a slave. I don't have any chains on. Of course you do. You just can't see them. Mm. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. Listen to this family language. Come on now. No permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to this family forever. If you're going to act like a son, then we can help you out here. So if the son sets you free, you will, in fact, be free indeed. You're going to be fully free. You're going to have all the stains of sin removed from your life. Amen. Listen to what Jesus says in the next verse. I know you are Abraham's descendants. As if Jesus doesn't know what your pedigree is. <laughs> oh, surprise, surprise. I didn't know that about you. Jesus says, I know you're Abraham's descendants. I'm talking to you. I know who I'm talking to. Yet you are ready to kill me. Listen to this. Because you have no room for my word. At least that's just those Jews back in John 8, huh? Nope. Yikes. No room for his word because we're too busy in our own self-defense. We don't have an eagerness to clear ourselves. We're too busy working in our own problems, trying to assign our own actions and wondering why it doesn't free us from the stain of sin. You do not get to direct yourself. You do not get to defend yourself. You have to find a divine presence. You can't be so full of your own words that you have no room for His Word. Come on. Come on. You have no room for his word when you're full of self-defense, full of self-direction, full of self-determination. 
And these are what he is saying to those who believed in him. Mm. This is not for those wicked sinners out there somewhere. He's talking to people who would be sitting in this room with us. Yeah. Oh my, you mean that Jesus would be talking to us? Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Self-defense is a sure sign of worldly sorrow and not godly sorrow. Let me just read this to you really quickly out of Psalm 35. Awake, verse 23. Awake and rise to my defense, Lord. Contend for me, my God and Lord. Vindicate me in your righteousness, O Lord my God. Do not let them gloat over me. Wow. Come on, that sounds like some other passages, doesn't it? Don't let them think, aha, just what we wanted. Somebody who's defending themselves because we can take them down. No, see, if you have a divine defense going on in you, you're not going to be taken down. That's why you can say, don't let my enemies gloat over me. Yeah. We need men and women who lay down all forms of self-defense. But, but, but they were wrong. Yep. But, but I've got to do something. Do you? You are only given the liberty to do what God has told you to do about that circumstance, about that situation, about that sin so that you can be really cleared from its stain. Church, I don't want to defend myself with my words. No. I, will want, I want to allow a divine defense to be seen in my actions. Can somebody say amen? Amen. What pastors give, has just given you is a very clear way to identify self-defense inside of you. Whenever you're holding on to a self-derived truth, you're not letting the truth that Jesus has given you to set you free. And all you got to do is look at that same area or multiple areas that you keep repeating and failing again and again and again. That's worldly sorrow. And the cause of it is self-defense. I want to present to God my version of truth and thereby reject his truth that's actually coming to set me free. Let's look at how God issues his divine defense. Go to Genesis chapter 20 and we will start in verse 3. Eagerness when you get there. But God came to Abimelech, king of Gerar, in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Uh Uh-oh. Come on, we need to see ourselves in this very first passage. When is God waking you up in the middle of night to get your attention about something? Come on, when he's getting your attention, you need to begin to make room for his word and be ready to take action. Oh no, Pastor, I keep waking up at 3 o'clock every morning and I have this one word that keeps coming to my mind. I'm not sure what's really going on. God's getting your attention. So align your heart with heaven, make room for his word, and have the attitude, I am ready to do whatever you tell me to do. Verse 4, now Abimelech had gone near her, had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. He's defending himself, right? And is he right? In the content of what he's sharing, is he right? Yes, absolutely he is. In his dream, remember, we're still in that that moment of him having a dream and God speaking to him, you're as good as dead. 
He is then responding to God with truth and a justification. Because he wants to clear his conscience and have clean hands. This is Abimelech, a foreigner, right? One that we would not expect to have a relationship with God, but he's having a conversation looking to clear his conscience and have clean hands. But did God really need Abimelech to give him a justification? Oh, man, this is us. This is me. This is you. The Lord begins to speak to you. Hey, that conversation that you had about 30 minutes ago, you really went to town to defend yourself in that. But Lord, they said this and they did this and I had to respond. You don't think he knows that already? He was standing there watching the whole time. But let's see how God begins to help Abimelech with some divine defense. Verse 6. Then God said to him in the dream. We're still in the dream here. Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. Oh, we're getting some shalom, some right order in this dream. You didn't, you didn't protect and make yourself righteous in all this. It's me who caused the plague to break out in every male in your camp. So you couldn't do anything, man. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all your people will die. See, God begins to lay it out for him that, yeah, I know you want a clear conscience. I was the one that was helping you get to the point of having a divine defense. Actually, I am not letting you touch her through issuing these plagues. Or let's just bring it real time. How about correction? See, God was preserving Abraham and Sarah's lineage, but he was also preserving Abimelech's household through correction. What kind of view of correction do you have? Oh, pastor, I know, I, I know I did this with a clear conscience. I got clean hands in this, and I hear everything you're saying, but just I had to do it this way. Yeah, but I'm actually bringing a correction to you because I'm trying to limit what you're about to do that will harm you and other households. See, godly sorrow must take the steps of eagerness, having an action that demonstrates a trust in the divine defense, throwing off a trust in the self-defense. And that divine defense will bring repentance. It will lead to salvation. And it will leave absolutely no regret. But it happens like this. Do you see the action that God gives Abimelech? He says, now return the man's wife to him. See, he gave him the opportunity to participate in godly sorrow. He says, here is an action to defend yourself and clear yourself of this stain. I'm going to give you the right truth that's going to set you free, set your house free, and set Abraham and Sarah free. So verse 8 picks up. And let's see exactly what what Abimelech did early the next morning. So this all began with Abimelech being in a dream. And God says, you're dead, son. you got to repent. This is exactly what you need to do. And I am certain that he woke up as soon as that dream was done and said, okay, get everybody together. We're going to get this thing straight. Godly sorrow wasted no time to take action of what God already said. Yeah, come on. It didn't matter how much it cost. In fact, it even grows. 
See, early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. And rightly so, they should be. But this continues with Abimelech's action. Let's look in verse 14. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. Hmm. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. Can you hear the genuine repentance? (laughs) Can you hear the genuine fear? Yes. The man was talking to God in a dream and God said, you're as good as dead if you don't do this. Yes. Let me give you not only your wife back. Let me go ahead and start blessing you financially. Let me say that out of all my land and my kingdom, please choose where you would like to live, sir. Mm-hmm. To Sarah, he said, listen to this. I am giving your brother <laughs> a thousand shekels right of silver. Face, yeah. This was the uh, half truth <laughs> that caused the problem in the first place. Right. Abraham called Sarah his sister. Sarah was calling Abraham her brother. And he was like, yes, in addition to choosing where you'd like to live and sheep and cattle and male and female servants, I will also give your brother a thousand (laughs) shekels of silver. (laughs) He's a foreigner. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are uh, against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Come on. An eagerness to clear yourselves from the stain of sin. You know what that's going to cause you to do? That's going to cause you to want to not just say that you're sorry, but have actions that show true vindication in your own heart. Yeah. There's no indication that the Lord said you must give to Abraham and Sarah, sheep and cattle, male and female servants. Let them choose wherever they want. And a thousand shekels of silver, which is more than what Abraham paid for the cave at Machpelah. He got a king's ransom in this process. Who told Abimelech to do that? Apparently no one. Hey, what does your eagerness look like? Come on. Are you looking to do the minimum? Look, I said I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? What else you want? You want me to do something else? I've already said sorry, hun. Hey, this foreigner who was apart from the law of the Lord, understood principles that were throughout the law and was actually living in them. The Bible says in Numbers 5 that if if you do wrong to a man or a woman, you are supposed to make full restitution and add 20% on top of that. You know what that is? That's full price. Yeah, it is. If every time you wrong somebody, You have an eagerness to do this, not to just say you're sorry, but if you mess something up, you're going above and beyond to take care of it. What would that cause you to do? What would that produce in you? If I mess up something that belongs to Judah, and I not only have to replace the item, but I have to figure out how to give him 20% more. Yeah. What would that do in us? It would be an eagerness that starts clearing you from the stain of sin that you keep falling into. You're like, man, I can't keep doing this. I can't treat my brother wrong because it's not just me getting equal. I paid you back. 
I'm paying you back with 20% added on top. You know what that does? I'll quit wronging people. Yeah. I'll start thinking more about my actions before I do them so I don't have to do that because the eagerness in me is training me. Yes. It's cleansing me. Yes. Come on now, church. See, this is why repentance is more than what we usually think about it. Repentance is turning from wrong and then doing something godly and right. Amen. I've turned from my wrong, Pastor. What are you doing? Yes. What eagerness are you displaying? Do you have any divine direction in your life? Any divine defense that's going on? Even a foreigner in Abimelech got this right. Come on. Even the foreigner said, yes, I actually have a, a, an eagerness to do what God has just told me to, and I'm going to go above and beyond to make sure that I pay the full price. That's eagerness. Come on now, church. Yeah. you got to let this sit in to your heart just for a second. Yeah. Think about 20%, not if it was a financial issue. Think about 20% in regards to husbands and wives in your relationship. What does that look like? I'm going to go above and beyond to make sure that this is right. What does that look like in an offering unto the Lord of your own life? What does that look like? Lord, I've wronged you. How do I make up for this, Lord? Because I need you to tell me and I will eagerly go about this so that I can be cleared from the stain of the sin that is upon my life. Amen. What kind of eagerness do you have? Do you have an eagerness that lasts for a week? Maybe two weeks. Maybe you're killing it and you've got a whole month under your belt. You haven't even met the minimum requirement yet. Much less going above and beyond. See, we're going to be a church that understands eagerness in this house tonight. Yeah. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5 and we'll start in verse 9. Church, God is giving us hope tonight. He's giving us hope that as we let go of our self-defense, He's going to give us a divine defense. One that is able to clear the stain of sin away. 2 Kings 5, verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought, I thought, hmm, I thought is paramount to self-directed salvation. A worldly sorrow that eventually leads to death. And this is what he thought. He said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord of his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? Sir, he turned and went off in a rage. Oh, the man, this is our hearts. We're just like Naaman. We begin with, I thought, I thought the pastor was going to come over for dinner last Tuesday night and correct my wife about her problems. 
<laughs> it's real. Don't laugh too hard now. How about this? I thought the parent teaching at LCM was about what my husband needs to do better in parenting. Go get him, pastor. How about this? I thought my discipleship would be developed by sitting on the sidelines and having others wave their hand over me so I wouldn't have to conquer my own cowardice. Yeah, I thought. I thought I could get the most gentle form of correction possible in order to cure my leprous condition. Oh man, we've all been there. Your heart may be in that exact same spot as we speak. I need ministry to me to look exactly like this in order for me to trust it. But there's hope. See, that's self-defense. That's worldly sorrow, and that will only lead to death every single time. You can't defend yourself like that and expect resurrection power to be at work in you. You can't have that inside of you and expect godly sorrow to bring repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But God provides divine defense. And we see this inside of Naaman. See, he turned away at the end of this from a a divine defense and he went into his own self-defense. He went into a rage when he couldn't get what he wanted in his own self-directed defense. I have four girls, and I will leave it anonymous of which is which in this scenario. But they have their own form of internal or external self-defense that turns away from the divine, fatherly defense that can be provided for them. I have one that will immediately burst out of their mouths every form of defense that is possible. She can't hold it in. See, I have four girls, so when I say she, it could be any of them. You correct her, and it just comes right out of her mouth of what you did wrong, what they did wrong, what the world did wrong, what God did wrong, and immediately you got to stomp on it. But there's also another kind, Pastor, where you will have the most sweetest demeanor on the outside, but if you just so happen to walk by a moment when she's standing in the mirror, you will see every level of self-defense come out in the mirror with a hairbrush in her hand. And as soon as I walk by and say her name, she's going, I just got busted. See, if you're one or the other, it doesn't matter. It's all about a self-defense that is turning away in rage against God's divine defense. But let's see what happens in Naaman's life because there's hope for him and there's hope for you. Verse 13, Naaman's servants, who's that? His servants, right? Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, it's honor right there. If the prophet had told you to do something, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then? Sounds familiar. When he tells you, wash and be cleansed. See, the servant is coming in a level of humility. And he's reminding the one above him of the goal of salvation. What godly sorrow can produce? It can produce salvation for him. 
So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Oh man, the boldness of a servant to call Naaman out and to call him up to godly sorrow resulted in Naaman's heart turning because he was going back to the first step. He was going back to the first step of godly sorrow and said, I will do whatever you want me to do. I'm in a place of humility. I'm in a place of obedience and submission. Just tell me. My own pride has swallowed me up and I need the power of God to swallow me up. By going to that first step, he was listening to the correction from his servant. It wasn't Elisha. It wasn't the Lord. It was the one underneath him. When this is like my, one of my daughters coming to me and say, Dad, I love you and I honor you as a man of God. But when you said this, when you acted like this, you, you could be better and bring life in a different way than what you did. What is my heart? What does your heart need to do in that moment? It is to fall in a place of humility and say, I've been swallowed up in worldly sorrow. I need to resurrect in godly sorrow. I need to listen to the word of the Lord coming from those beneath me. Because that is honoring what the Lord has done. This put Naaman's heart in the position to take the next step of eagerness. To go and act And have a defense through action that would clear himself of a leprous stain. It would clear himself of this self-directed defense. And verse 15 continues. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. Oh, can we imitate Naaman's heart? In this means of accepting godly sorrow and saying, I need that same humility. That same humility that is the key to getting rid of self-directed salvation. And bring about some godly sorrow that brought salvation, that led to, brought salvation, that led to salvation and left absolutely no regret. Come on now, church. Has the Lord ever told you something so simple that you figured it couldn't be right? He gives you the place that you're supposed to go. He gives you what you're supposed to do there and says, I promise you, I will set you free. You'll be healed from your leprosy. Just go to the Jordan and dip in the water seven times. These foreigners are getting it right, folks. He gets angry at first and wants to defend himself, but he finally walks in the divine defense that God provided. And then what did he do? He gave a gift above and beyond. He did. See, this produces in us something when we actually have, he was eager to show kindness. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Chronicles chapter 14. 1 Chronicles chapter 14. And let's look at verse 13. Somebody say eagerness when you get there. I'll get it right. 1 Chronicles chapter 14 verse 13. Once more. The Philistines raided the valley. So David inquired of God again. He had no need for self-defense because he was, he had a divine defense that was working in him. See, he had just been anointed king over all of Israel. The Philistines attacked him. He inquired of the Lord and God broke out and won a battle. God even destroyed their idols in the process. He had a divine defense because he sought divine direction. 
This is a little time later. The exact same scenario happens again. He doesn't look to himself for his own direction making. He turns to the heavens. He says once more, this happened. And he didn't go back on past experiences. He didn't say, I got this now. I saw how the Lord did it before. I got this. You just step aside. I will now determine my own direction. David inquires of God again. Somebody say again. Again. Always looking for a divine defense upon what he was to do. What he was supposed to go out and do. And God answered him. Because he always does when you seek him. Do not go straight up, but circle around them and attack them in the front of the balsam trees. But Lord, I would prefer not to do it this way. This seems less manly to me. I don't get to go and punch somebody right in the face. I'm supposed to go around and wait for your signal. Church, we're trying to speak to you tonight. There are things that we just don't like about God's plan sometimes, and it just shows us how self-directed we are. Yeah. See, that divine direction says, you go and do it the way I told you, David. I know that the circumstances all look exactly the same as the situation before, but I want you to do something differently. As soon as you hear, verse 15, the sound of the marching in the tops of the balsam trees, move out to battle. When you hear some type of rustling on the top of the trees... Because that will mean God has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So God, so David did as God commanded him, and they struck down the Philistine army. Are you telling me that when we get instruction from God and do it, it happens just the way that God says? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. See, some of our false history that we remember is we don't remember the times that God has spoken and we didn't do it rightly. Mm. And then we just remember that it didn't work out. Somehow we start blaming God for it that he didn't tell us. No, he told you. You just weren't walking in that divine defense that you needed. That eagerness that shows that you can be cleared from the stain of sin in your life. See, he struck them down all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. The key to winning the fight against self-direction is to have divine direction. Yeah. We know this, church. Look up at me. You know this. But how many times yet do we walk in our self-direction, our self-determined path, our self-defense, instead of a divine defense that shows us that we're actually eager to clear ourselves? Yes. God, just tell me the action, and I'll go do it to the fullness. And, and if you help me, I'll probably even give a blessing on top because I'll be so moved with eagerness. David was determined to defend his life, his people, and his kingdom by walking in eagerness to follow God's command. And he didn't even know what they were going to be. He inquired of the Lord, fully intent on doing exactly what God said. Do you ask the Lord for direction? Then weigh what he says to see if you'll actually do it or not? Uh, I don't like the idea that I have to go dip in the Jordan. Uh, I don't like the idea that we have to go around because that makes me feel different. David determined in his heart that he would do whatever God said before God said it. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Think about Exodus 32. Don't turn there. 
Moses says, if you're on the Lord's side, come to me. What did the Levites do? They ran to him. And then Moses said, strap a sword on your side right. and go out and take care of your brothers and your sisters. That's it. What if they would have been like, yeah, that's not really what I signed up for. Think about Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? What does Isaiah say? Send me. And then God tells him where he's going to send him and what he's supposed to do. See, if you're trying to propagate your own self-defense instead of a divine defense, instead of an eagerness, what you're going to do is you're going to weigh what God says to you and see if you're willing to pay the price to do it. Eagerness says, I've already counted the cost. It doesn't matter what you ask. It doesn't matter how far. It doesn't matter how long I have to keep doing this. I'm saying yes before I know what you're going to tell me to do. David is doing that here. Church, we need this. We've said these things before. Lord, I'll do whatever you ask. And then he just asks you to sit down and listen to him. And you can't seem to sit down because you feel like motion is what he wants. He wants your obedience. He wants your eagerness. And he will help clear the sin, the stains of sin from your life. Amen. Look at verse 17. So David's fame spread throughout every land, and the Lord made all the nations fear him. What happens when a man will actually walk in eagerness? What happens when a man walks in a godly sorrow? See, this is allowing God to move on his behalf, and everyone in every land heard of this man. These are men who have defeated the need for self-defense. And they've eagerly relied on their divinely directed actions to be their defense. To clear them from the stain of sin. How about you today, church? This is the kind of church that has made bold proclamations. We encourage you to step forward and, and really put yourself out there. But are you able to follow through in an eagerness of action that shows that the commitment you made was not just a self-defense of your words, but an eagerness to clear yourself? Church, we're trying to help you to get to eagerness tonight. We're trying to help you to be able to clear yourselves from the stain of sin. It starts with earnestness and then it moves to eagerness. It moves to divinely directed defense from the heavens. God tells you what to do and then you're able to do it to clear yourself through your actions. Come on now. What is it that keeps us from eagerness tonight though? Let's go to Luke 14 and begin to look at this and see what the king of kings tells us how to deal with with what keeps us from our eagerness. Luke 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Let me put this in the right context. When he's saying, and does not hate, and then gives a list. This looks like in action, loving God and his commands more than any other relationship in your life. He has to be Lord of all. 
The very first commandment of the 613 are, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods beside me. Anything that rises to be equal with him, he will challenge and dethrone as quickly as possible. He is the only one who has the right to be my everything. And my love for him will look like hate for everything else. It will create such a disparity that everyone who is my father, my mother, my wife, my children, my brothers and sisters, they will feel hated when compared with the elevated love that I have for my God. Because I will do anything that he says for me to do. My sorrow is consumed with godly sorrow. With an eagerness to see his name defended more than my own. Come on, it's the name of Jesus that I will die for. Not the name of Piro. It is the name of Jesus that I will die for. And not the title of being an American or any other title that exists. It's only the title of being a son of the Most High God. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb that I will die. This is an expanded view, church, of Matthew 16, 24. It's the three fundamentals of what Jesus requires for you to be his disciple. And it starts with deny yourself. You know what that practically looks like? Deny yourself of defending yourself. Take up your cross. Carry out with action that crucifixion of your sinful nature, your will, your desire to stand up for your pride of who you are and follow him with all of your heart. See, when we begin with the attitude that says, I am surrendering my life, I'm surrendering my sources of self-defense that would naturally come from my family members. They would naturally come from my very own life, my love of my life. Being able to surrender that and lay it at the feet of Jesus, joining in his crucifixion, we can find that ability to fulfill every bit of the eagerness found in godly sorrow. We can be brought to repentance. We can be led into salvation. We can walk with confidence, having no regret on our conscience and experiencing resurrection life. It has this, this sentiment. And this is where it started for me personally when I was first born again. I am not the owner of my life. When Jesus found me, I was a dead man. What right do I have to self-defense? None. But what right do I have as a blood-bought son of God? I have the right to define defense. I have the right for God to defend me because I am submitting myself to him. In Psalm 5, verse 4, it says this. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With the wicked, with you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. This is about God looking at people who do not yield to divine defense, divine direction, divine determination. You destroy those who tell lies, bloodthirsty and deceitful men. The Lord abhors. This is strong language. 
What does the Lord hate? The Lord hates those who are wicked, who are doing these things. But look down in verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let all of those who are going to find their defense in the King of Kings and in the Lord of Lords, let them be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Listen to this. Spread your protection over them. Yes. That those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. See, the God of all creation, that He was looking to help and defend you, to give you direction, to give you determination of what you must do. It is our job to look to Him and eagerly do what He puts before us. Then you can know that He is defending you, that He is taking care of you. You have to have the divine defense that God would spread His protection over you. Church, This all comes from a godly sorrow that produces eagerness in you and in your actions. How are you going to repent? You're going to have to start with earnestness and turn your heart towards the Lord and then begin to do what He puts before you. This is the basic definition of repentance. And for us tonight, we have to understand that it's not enough that you do what you think you must do. It is All, it is everything that you do what God is telling you to do. That you are eagerly working towards God's divine defense so that He might clear you from the stain of sin. For our last scripture of the night, let's turn to Psalm chapter 51. Say eagerness whenever you're there. Psalm 51 verse 3. I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. See, church, our real enemy... It's internal. It's inside of us. It's our hunger and desire for self-defense. The real problem is that we don't want to acknowledge the very evil that's in our own hearts. So that we never have the eagerness required to act upon divine defense. Tonight we are aiming at removing the worldly sorrow that is self-directed. The worldly sorrow that is self-determined. The one that is full of self-defense. And we're looking for resurrection power through godly sorrow to bring about an eagerness to act on the godly sorrow that is divinely inspired. It's divinely empowered inside of you to conquer that sin of self-defense and allow you to thereby be defended by God. But we have to rightly deal with what's going on inside of us first. Church, as we close, I have a few questions for you. Do your divinely directed actions defend you? Are you walking in eagerness to clear yourselves in an ongoing manner? Are you demonstrating with your actions that you are in fact clearing yourself of the stain of sin in every way, in every area in your life? That it will set you free from the past things. It will set you free from the current problems that you have in your own heart, in your own life. A divine defense is one that is derived from divine direction. 
Church, you cannot keep deciding what you will and won't do. That is not eagerness. I feel guilt, so therefore I'm choosing to do this because I think it will get rid of the guilt. That's not divine defense. That's not eagerness to clear yourself. That is self-determined, self-directed, self-defense that is keeping you from actually walking in godly sorrow. Is your mouth so full of your own words? Is your life so full of your own direction that He's trying to direct you? But you're unable to yield to what God Himself is saying to you. Church, we got to have an eagerness rise up in us tonight. Yeah. That is divinely directed. We come down to the altar and we cry out to God and then we stand up and we do what we choose. If we do anything. That's not eagerness to clear yourselves. Have you been guilty of mounting your own defense? And then getting angry with God or the people around you because they're not accepting it as an actual defense. They're not accepting it as your plea. Well, I decided to do this. Why don't you take this as being from God? Because it's not. Have you been guilty of determining your own direction? Actions that are intended to clear the stain of sin, but never getting rid of the shame. You're rewriting your own history. You're not looking back and saying, is the shame gone? Is the stain of that sin gone? Or is it still there? If it's still there, then you haven't had earnest uh, eagerness yet. You haven't walked in divine direction yet if the stain of sin is still there. The shame of sin that's still there. The mark of sin that you can't get rid of. We're saying there's an eagerness that can help you to clear yourself tonight. Are you ready to demonstrate eagerness tonight, church? By letting the steps to this altar be a declaration that your earnestness is sincere. And that a divinely directed defense will be what you will eagerly pursue. If it is, then stand to your feet tonight. Mighty God, we come before you right now, Lord. And we're asking that this group of people, that this church will not have self-directed defense. Lord, but that we would have divine direction. A divine defense today, Lord. Lord, we are a church that values action. Lord, I'm asking that you help us to have divine action. That even when you tell us to dip in the Jordan seven times, Lord, that we don't get angry with you even though you're setting us free. Lord, that when you are trying to put your words in our mouths, that we are not so filled with our own words that we're determining our direction. Lord, help us tonight. Lord, help us to have eagerness to clear ourselves from the stain of sin. Lord, you have given this to us as a gift for our church right now, God. That we don't have to continue to walk around in stained garments. 
Lord, that we can walk around, Lord, through this process of eagerness, Lord, that we can have your divine direction and be cleansed, be set free. Lord, be able to have repentance brought to us and you can lead us to salvation and leave no regret in our lives. God, this is our cry tonight. This is our plea that you will come and defend us and show us the actions to do so. In Jesus' name.